Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirk the Dice, host of the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from Grogmeet-ish 2020, our annual meetup that has been beaming adventures directly to people's armchairs to avoid a super spread event. But we've had a super event. I'm completely surrounded by the Grog Squad in the Zoom of role-playing rambling. I'll look at my screen. It's a bit like Celebrity Squares. Remember that? There's uh, Pat Coombs. Arthur Mullard, Patrick Moore, and there's more Willie Rushtons than you can shake a stick at. Welcome to the den, everyone. I've got the great library of RPG to my right, and here on my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Munro. I'll, uh, I'll just give it a tap. Ah, yes. She's appeared with Gary Newman in her hit single in Italy, uh, Pump Me Up. And she's appeared like that because I'm joined by my friends electric, Paul from the Good Friends of Jackson Elias podcast. Hello, Paul. Hello, Dirk. It's a pleasure to be here. And Gaz from What Would the Smart Party Do podcast. Hi, Gaz. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. I'm going to count you two as my stunt bazzies for this episode. Let's start with you then, Paul. Grogmeet this year is an online event, but you don't like playing RPGs online, do you? Oh, are we getting into that? Yeah, no, I, I haven't really. I have played some. I've um, played a few sessions of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics with uh, my good friend uh, Corey Welch on uh, from over from America. And um, yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. It's a, it, To me... Those sessions were a bit like, you know, one of those TV shows. I kind of quite liked it, but I didn't go back to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I just can't really get on with it. And what is it about the experience that just doesn't connect with you? I've, I've racked my brain about this many times. Uh, I've played a number of sessions, and I think it's me, not everybody else, you know. But <laughs> it just feels like... You know, like the Dementor from uh, Harry Potter. I just feel after a while, I just feel more emotionally disconnected and and hollowed out playing that game than I do just, you know, sat on my own just browsing the internet. I just feel, uh, yeah, I just it just like real gives me a real downer. So does that mean that you've not been able to continue gaming during the present restrictions? Uh, it's just been a very different. Yeah, I have. Um, I mean, I've been, you know, still podcasting, still writing, still talking to people about gaming. I still game with my because I've got my, my family all at home. So we played one or two role playing game sessions and we played lots of board games and things like that. So it's kind of been a mostly role playing game hiatus for me. But it's been a good week this week, hasn't it? Because your scenario that you can get from the Miskatonic repository has leveled up and graduated a level. Yeah, the um, Full Fathom 5, my scenario, has just reached uh, Electrum. So it uh, sounds great, doesn't it? So uh, now that means that hopefully it will be going into print on demand soon. Because at the moment it's just on um, uh, out for PDF. Uh, but hopefully, yep, like I say, if we can get all the, uh, the tweaks done to the files that are required to meet the uh, requirements, then it will be you'll be able to get a print copy of it with a wonderful cover by John Sumrow. So uh, people who don't know this scenario, how would you pitch it to them? So it's a, it's a Call of Cthulhu scenario set in 1847 on a whaling ship. One friend, uh, one of the playtesters described it as being in a sandbox on a train or indeed on a, on a ship. Because kind of, you can kind of do what you want but you are confined to the ship with 23 crew. Uh, and hopefully it's a fairly intense game that lasts usually one session. 
uh, and had a number of playtesters, including your good self, Dirk. That's right. It was great to have the opportunity to be a small part of uh, developing it. And I would urge people if they uh, go for it because it's full of lots of atmospheric detail and it's driven by action and it's a really good thing to have. Thank you very much. So, Gaz, conversely, unlike Paul, you seem to be playing online games every single day. Uh, not quite every night, but but many of them, yeah. More than not sometimes. Yeah, uh, Paul's a bit of a Luddite, bless him. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm still prefer face-to-face gaming by, you know, a large margin. But online gaming is better than no gaming. Uh, so, and I think it's one of those things that you get better at with practice as well. The more you do of it, the more comfortable you get with the online thing. It's never going to be as good as being around a table with friends and sharing a beer or a pizza or whatever else and, you know, having that jokes and the interaction between people of various levels. But it's better than doing nothing, for sure. So tell us, what's on your roll call at the moment then? What are you playing? Uh, I'm running some Dean Dizzle for uh, my noobs group, as I call them, which is uh, two couples. One of them... Uh, Liked D&D when he was 10, so he'd fit really well in with the grognards, that kind of thing. He's just kind of reawakening to the possibilities of imaginary worlds. And then we've got someone else who's watched a bit of Harry Potter and then everything in between. So it's it's a mixed group, but uh, they're, they're getting into it. They're kind of getting past that initial stage of, can I do X into I'm doing X? And, and that kind of like really getting the ownership, which is nice to see. It's good after all these years in the hobby to see people blossoming again and, and seeing it for the first time through fresh eyes almost. So that's cool. At the other end, things like the new Duty and Honor edition that will be coming out at some point from Neil Gow. We play-tested that. We uh, played through some Wrath and Glory with uh, one of the writers that's going to be publishing one of the scenarios for that game as well. We've played some Mutant Year Zero. Uh, I'm currently running some Feng Shui. We're playing uh, Legend of the Five Rings. I'm lining up a Pendragon campaign. You know, all sorts. I could keep going on. There's just uh, too many games to count. I also want to ask you about Smart TV, which is a new project that you've been working on over the summer. So tell people about that and where they'll find it. Well, if you search for what would the Smart Party do on YouTube, you will find uh, some actual players we did. Uh, as with most things, now uh, I'm not in furlough anymore and other, and other events like that, it means I have less time to do that so that the schedule slowed to somewhat to a crawl. But you can go back and check out games we play Ideally, in about a 10-hour slot through something, we try and play uh, starter scenarios or things like that and run them as written, more or less. Uh, we're sort of going off that idea because we found that, as with most games you play, you'll buy a written scenario, but you want to make it your own and make it fit your group. So the constraint of trying to play it as written seemed like a good conceit to give people the authentic experience, but it's proving like shackles upon our wrists, so we're kind of really against it a little bit. But it should give you an idea of some games and, and kind of how they play out. And then we do a supplementary episode a couple of weeks afterwards, and we sort of talk through for an hour about what we thought about the scenario, how we could make it more awesome, what things you could add to improve it, that kind of thing. So actually that part seems to be the thing that people are connecting with most. If you kind of want to like check out a Warhammer fancy roleplay scenario, for example, and think, see what we thought of it, there's a, an hour-long episode there where we chat through how you could make that episode more dynamic and more interesting and more pacey and that kind of thing. So there's some useful elements as well as the actual play element as well. The reason I've gathered Paul and Gaz here is to do the thunder phase. How this works is that I've got a set of medium fire questions stored in my thunder pot that I've collected from listeners. I will draw them from the pot, apparently at random, and we'll answer them. It couldn't be simpler. So, the first in the thunder phase, I'll get the people in the Zoom of roleplay and rambling to share it next time. The first one is investigation heavy games good or bad one for you i think paul hmm well i mean obviously call of cthulhu is an investigative game right but would you say that the the scenario that i've, I've published this year just uh, getting a bit of product placement there but no would you say that is an investigative scenario because I, I wouldn't really not at all it's an action-packed thriller i think so and i think quite a lot of the scenarios that i write are um so on the whole i don't think i write investigative games whereas ironically uh i was playing um dnd curse of strad and you know back in the day i played that like you know in the early 80s 
and you know you have an encounter with some gypsies and you do some tarot and then you know you get straight into the strad's dungeon is his castle and you know you kick some ass and you go up and down you know stairs and you 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 fight the undead and you find yourself in a coffin with ghouls around you and it's great but in this version it's like investigation you're going from one place to another and you know there's there's intrigue in the town and there's somebody out at a windmill that you might go and visit and there's it is it's more investigative or as investigative as any call of cthulhu game i've ever played and that's not really what i want in dnd but um so is it good or is it bad i think it can be good i think it can be bad i think if it's so heavy that you you've just sort of scratching your head and you come to the point where you're not enjoying it well it's not good is it but if you're if you're you know if you're up to your neck in it and there's loads of threads to follow and maybe you don't know which one to follow but you know that there's lots of them that offer potential and you just roll in along with it then that's great so i don't really get i mean it sounds a bit naive or pretentious to say i don't really get what investigative games means you know, when people talk about them, because if they're criticizing them, usually I just feel they're talking about games they haven't enjoyed that are bad games. It's interesting you say that about D&D. So are you saying that really you need to have a game system that supports investigation? I think you have to have a story that that and a, and a work in a genre that supports investigation. So Lord of the Rings, you know, as a, as a touchstone, isn't about investigation. Um, and I don't think most fantasy games, to me, aren't about investigation. You know, there are those three pillars, what are they, like exploration and, and so on like that. It's about exploration. Whereas, you know, your typical Call of Cthulhu game, investigation is kind of inherent in that, in a lot of the, in a lot of the scenarios, and it, and it fits the genre. What was your question, Dirk? <laughs> <laughs> do, you need, do you need the mechanical elements to support investigation in a game? So in D&D, it's geared towards, isn't it, uh, action, mm. um, being superheroes who uh, punch things and uh, take things well, down. Ironically, in 5th edition D&D, if I remember correctly, there is a skill, is they're not called investigate now. Mm. I believe that's what they, they've, they've rationed, rationalised the skills down to about a dozen, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure one of them is investigate so surely that's there so i don't know that it's necessarily about mechanics no i don't think it's necessary to do the mechanics what about you guys investigation heavy games good or bad because i know that we've had this discussion because you have said that uh, baz doesn't particularly enjoy investigation heavy games so trying to make things work uh, for him when you when you're playing with him yeah i mean i don't want to speak for baz but he is like myself quite action-led uh, an action in this instance could be decision points or forks in the road where you have to make a meaningful choice. I think too many times in investigation games, they plot it out in a way that you want to go left or right, but you've no meaningful way of knowing which way is better than the other or qualifying which one you should go for. Or you end up in situations like, oh, there's a twinkle in the woods, what do you do? It's like, well, my character knows that people are getting murdered in the woods, so why would I go there? But that's where the adventurists will go there anyway, and then you find it. some white opera gloves. And you're like, okay. And then you ask lots about it and you search for prints and there aren't any. And you like you do like chemical tests on the gloves to see if you can find it. And, oh, fingerprint. Like you try all these things doing lots of investigation, but you don't get anywhere and you've no choice for immediate where to move forward. And I think that's probably the sort of thing that you know Baz frowns at. And so do I. And I think that's where a lot of people come from when they say they don't like investigation and games. It's if you're investigating and gathering things. And probably at some point, that three and a half hours' time at the end of the scenario, there'll be a big reveal and you go, oh, that's why the gloves were in the forest. Well, you know, it'll all make sense, but it's not worth the three and a half hours of game time for that 10 minutes of reveal at the end a lot of the time. So uh, investigations need to be done in a way that there's uh, interesting things for players to do and a choice to be made, or they've got to balance some priorities or something like that. So just think of it like you know a combat encounter or whatever else. Like if you're hitting an orc all the time, and the GM's not telling you if they're getting wounded or if they look bloodied yet or if they're going to fall over and you've no, chance, you don't, you've no indication of how you're getting on that fight. It just feels dull and you know the choice but take the orc and you're like, well, this is 
just mechanical, they'll get a computer to do this for me, sort of thing. So the, the difficult thing with investigations is making them interesting and having the decision points and getting action in there and making people genuinely excited to discover what's next. I think some people do fall into the trap of just kind of, here's a trail of breadcrumbs that you're going to follow along. And that's, that's sort of railroading, and it's not exciting to do that. Yeah, Although for think- some, some players, they do like just asking every single NPC they can find and then going back and double-checking with the first one in case now what they found out makes a difference to what the other guy said. And they just love that procedural bit. But for me, that's not exciting. Yeah, I think when you find those white gloves, you just want to... It's like you need to get somewhere and you're buying a ticket to get there. It's, you don't want to struggle to buy the ticket in the game to, <laughs> yeah. to get to your destination. And finding those white gloves and investigating them, it's just like buying a ticket. It's, it's, it's pretty dull if you can't find out anything about them. It's pretty dull if I can't buy my ticket to Innsmouth, you know, to get a train, yeah. or you can't get a train today. Well, <laughs> what am I going to do then, you know? <laughs> you just want the... the you want investigation to be the, you know, the fuel that, that pushes the, the game along, not, not stops it. I don't know whether I'm a good investigative player. Uh, I don't know whether I enjoy um, investigation. I think that impacts my ability to run investigative games. I'm too inclined to uh, give people what they need. You know, that, like you say, uh, guys, this idea of uh, going from NPC to NPC is something that, just that I, I, I find uh, I don't enjoy it as a player. Um, and so running that as a GM, I, I find find difficult. But I am intrigued by some games. I mean, the Liminal is a very popular game and uh, it's been popular at, uh, at Grogmeet. Um, so I am intrigued to uh, try and get beneath that and see if I could uh, turn that into something that I would enjoy both playing and uh, running. Yeah, it's quite system-wide. So again, I think something like liminal a lot of the game comes from what people bring to it and so the gm with the you know the, the story behind it and bringing folklore elements to life and that kind of stuff so to answer your early question about system i think that can make a difference so gumshoe ostensibly fixes a problem that people get stopped with investigations and can't move forward and i was speaking to robin laws about this to the cracker last year and sort of saying like it fixes a problem that doesn't exist uh, uh, is what some people would say I disguised my own opinion as. And then he sort of said, like, no, it does exist because people come to me at conventions and tell me all the time that it keeps happening. And I think it keeps happening because of uh, poor GMing or bad story, you know, bad scenario design or things like that or poor implementation of it that keeps stopping people moving on the investigation. So that system does enable you, if you find that happening, to kind of move forward. You can get the clue by spending points. And a really good example of how system helps any big investigation with something like the Dracula dossier, and all that kind of stuff for Gimshoe, which if you've seen the photos from a couple of years back at one of the garrison cons, people were playing it out on the veranda and they had the proper murder board out with all the red string connecting locations and people and all the rest of it. And people were shouting each other and banging the table and arguing and accusing each other. And that happened all weekend. And that was a great investigation because there was things to do and there was a ticking clock and you had like, oh, is he the poisoner? Is he the poisoner? And there were like few people furious about who it might be. Like that's a great investigation game and the system enables that. Um, so that's where it can help. But that's, that's in my mind, what a good investigation would be. Like People should be passionate about what they do next, not kind of going, well, what do we do with these gloves then? I don't know. Shall we go yeah. back? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we go back to the uh, thunder pot? <laughs> What's the game you'd like to play more of if you had the chance? Okay. Let's start with you, with uh, uh, Gaz, on this one. What's the game that you'd like to play more of if you had the chance? Well, to kind of link back to the previous question, I'd love to play more Delta Green. Uh, and I do like a bit of Cthulhu and things like that. What i found is, uh, and it might just be I'm unlucky, but I do tend to find people that, that play the not-my-kind-of-investigation game rather than my-kind-of-investigation game. So that's that's a problem. And I think you find, I don't know, we're all GMs, so you might have found this yourself, but quite often you end up running games a lot and you kind of want other people to run it. Like I'd love to play in a Savage Worlds campaign but I've never really had that opportunity. But I've run more Savage Worlds than I've had hot dinners. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. So there's, there's plenty of games on my shelf that I've not had a chance as well, even though, as you've noted, I've been doing nothing but playing games in my Fortress Evil, sat here surrounded by my shelves and such. But there's still things like Over the Edge, the new third edition, I've not had a chance to play yet. Um, you know, a ton of new games coming out all the time as well. So um, lots of things. Mainly, it's things that I run a lot. 
but I don't get a chance to play, and it'd be nice to be on the side of the screen for a change. Yeah, because I played that um, Delta Green uh, one-shot that you prepared, which was really good. That was very action-focused. Um, so you're going to do something else with that? Or did you ever take it any further? Because that was like a, an experiment, wasn't it, to see whether you could create an investigation-led game that was uh, very intense in a, in a one-shot uh, to kind of get that action in, in, in focus. Yeah, well, I'd like to. It's, it's getting the right group of people together who have some time as well, because as, as we've noted, I'm playing quite a lot. And so, you know, Baz and the other guys that are in the game, everybody's got loads of stuff on. And I'm finding myself having to drop out of a couple of games with other people like. So, yeah, it's still there as a back burner. I think that kind of game is for me. But ultimately, to answer the, the question from the Thunder part is, I'd like someone else to run it and I, I play in it. That'd be, the, yes. that'd be my dream, right? <laughs> Absolutely. What about you, Paul? Uh well, when we're talking about old games, I'd like to play more Ars Magica. I ran lots of Ars Magica back in the day, but when I look back at my notes and the, the rule books and so on, it kind of brings back, it's a bit like, I think, oh, I'd like to live like I lived when I was a student, you know? It, it's like, actually, I'm not sure I do want to do that anymore because uh, the, the, the system is quite sort of heavy and, and every time you cast a spell, you've got all those debates about, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, improvised magic and, and so on, which... At a, at a consistent group for many years and everybody was really into it. And then I tried to sort of pick it up again at the Milton Keynes role-playing game club. And it's such an investment as a game that over a short block, it didn't really, you know, over a short block of weeks, it didn't really get going, I felt. In terms of newer games, I mean, I think science fiction is, is one that I haven't really played very much of. Um, that's something that I'd like to get into more, or at least I'm intrigued to, to play more of. And I played Mothership last year at, uh, at Grogme. That was mm-hmm. uh, a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, that would be something I'd be interested in. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, this is a, a, a strange admission, given um, the, what's happened with the podcast, but I don't get a chance to play RuneQuest and uh, RuneQuest Glorantha. And I don't know what it is. I think it's similar to what uh, Gaza said. Um, it's just finding the time with everything else that's firing in. And I do feel that um, in my uh, group that the enthusiasm for RuneQuest uh, is kind of diminished a bit because of the new things that have come along. And I just really want to run a campaign using uh, RuneQuest Galantha because it just feels like it's one of those uh, one of those games, one of those uh, settings, one of the, all the great material that's come out for RuneQuest Galantha to spend some time just absorbing all that. Um, however, every time we've tried and attempted to do it, we've run out of momentum and never really gone past three sessions. And I just think it, I just feel that the enthusiasm uh, with my group isn't there anymore because they've seen newer, newer things and more exciting things. So... I'm going to find time uh, in 2021 to actually do a RuneQuest campaign. I wonder if it's harder to do a long campaign like that now that, you know, nowadays there are so many new shiny things every week. There's new shiny games on Kickstarter and so on. And everybody's like champing at the bit. Oh, you know, never mind that game we were playing last month. We want to play the new game. So do people want to invest in a campaign that's going to go on for a year or like maybe seven, eight, nine, ten years, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think, again, if, we, if we're looking at systems or perhaps a structure to help with that, um, guy from the Burn After Running blog, he's running some Shadows of the Demon Lord for us, and uh, that's uh, got a really good structure in terms of, it's from Rob Schwab, so he's got his D&D roots in there and that kind of thing, uh, but it's run over 11 sessions, and you start at level zero and don't have a class, and by, after one session you become level one and pick what class you're in and then pick various other paths as you go along. But each session, you level up. And by the end mm. of it, you're supposed to stop the Demon Lord, of which there's several, and you pick one for your campaign kind of thing. But that's an 11-session campaign. You know, it's 10 turned up by one, as he puts it. So that then time boxes it for people. And if you're leveling up every session, it means you're, you're getting new powers, and it feels new and exciting for you because you get new stuff to do every time. And you know that the campaign's going to end at 11, one way or the other. Either you win or the Demon Lord does. That kind of thing. So that that sort of structure and, and play style gives you buy-in. So it'd be interesting to do similar things for other games like that. So for your ring quest, for a second, yeah. you might say, 
well, we're going to run through the old River of Crandall's campaign or whatever it might be. Or, you know, you set up some kind of like arc that you're going to do and say, that's what we're going to play. And then you pause after that and then you might come back to it. You never do. But you say, oh, if, if it's good, we'll come back. But that gives you a way of playing a number of games of something and it having a resolution and feeling like a series of a TV show or something like that. Yeah, that definitely does work because we did that um, this year with the uh, Conan. We set, said, right, we're going to run this for uh, eight sessions and that will be the end of season one. So it gives a bit of a structure and we'll, it'll be recommissioned next year if you enjoy it. Uh, so I think, do think that that structure does, does help. Nice ones. Shall we go back to the Thunder Pot? I'm enjoying the chat from everyone as well. So this won't come through on the audio, obviously, but we've got like a little Zoom chat and uh, yeah. there's a flurry of activity from the Grognoids, which is nice to see. Thunder Thunder so I'm going to put this one to uh, Paul. What is the best unfinished project in your bottom drawer? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I tend to be quite secretive with what I'm working on because... I don't know. I don't like to sort of announce it and then, you know, it goes south or it's like years and years before it comes out. And also there's a kind of a, I feel like there's something in being secret. It can be like special and exciting to me. But if I explain it to other people and they're like, oh yeah, uh, anyway, I was thinking about this thing. And you're like, oh, but but my special game, my special game, I was telling you about, why aren't you excited? And I'd be like, oh, maybe I won't bother but until I until I tell people, I can I can keep my excitement inside. I mean, I've got a couple of projects that I want to get out that are old ones, like uh, revamping uh, Gatsby and the Great Race and Oxide Dogs, a couple of scenarios that I, I wrote for Call of Cthulhu. I'd like to you know give those the same kind of treatment that I gave Book Fathom Five and put those out on the repository. Ah, now last year at Grogme. I you you were kind enough to invite me onto the the show to to be interviewed. Uh, and at the end, we had some questions from the audience. And one of them was uh, asked if, uh, you know, if Chaosium or, you know, or, or myself or Chaosium were, were thinking about doing any games based on the works of other authors, you know, like, you know, because we've done one on, on Lovecraft and, and you know, Moorcock and so on. And, uh, and then he also added, you know, you know, what about UK or British authors? And I was like, well, I don't really know what cares we're planning. No, not really. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's that <laughs> thing we haven't announced yet. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, because a few weeks later at Dragon Meet, we were making the announcement about Rivers of London with Ben Aronovich. Um, so this, I forget who it was that asked that question, but that was, I don't know if they've got an inkling, but that was uh, a very um, kind of preemptive question about that. So ever since then, you know, we've been working on this, this game for Rivers of London, uh, which is based on the series of novels uh, set in uh, modern, day, modern day London, obviously, or, you know, other places, including America. And, you know, that is the, that's what's been eating up a lot of my time this year, uh, working on the, the rule set for that, which is a kind of a, uh, it's, a it's another version of, based on the BRP engine, because Ben, uh, the author, is really steeped in RPGs, um, you know, extremely so. And, um, you yeah, know, talking to him, he knew all about Ars Magica and, and so on. Because when I was reading Rivers of London, I was like, you know, this does feel a bit like the kind of magic, the, the way it's structured and so on, that, that we see in Ars Magica. And, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's partly why. And Ben was a big fan of Call of Cthulhu and BRP. And, you know, he, he said at Dragon Meat that he would like it to be done with that, you know, that rule set. And, uh, you know, even if his agent, you know, wasn't very keen on him, like spending time on a, on a role-playing game, he wanted to do it, you know, and he's the author. So I guess uh, as a best-selling author, you can, you know, you can kind of go where you want to some degree. So that's that's an unfinished project. That's a work in progress. And mm. c can you estimate when the publication date would be? We won't commit you to it. There's nobody listening. Oh, good, good. Well, just between me and you, um, I would be hoping for kind of middle of next year. Oh, that's something. I think probably not, you know, yeah, something around then. Mid. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of wrapping up the writing. It's in playtesting in the rules at the moment. Um, hopefully the writing will be wrapped up for too long 
uh, and then obviously it has to go through all the editing and so on, and then all the layout, and then the printing, which you know the printing and shipping takes months. So you know, I'm hoping I'm not speaking out of turn if I sort of say next year, next summer, hopefully. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. What about you, work guys? Have you got anything in your bottom drawer that you're able to reveal? In uh... <laughs> I'm glad you added the caveat. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was, that was a close run thing there. Uh, not really. Baz keeps talking about my game, but I haven't said I'm writing one, so I don't know what he's on about. But <laughs> I mean, I kind of like, like to write a game. I still like have fanciful ideas of that, the way a lot of people say I'm going to write a novel someday. Uh, I, I'm reminded of um, one of the guys from Collective Endeavor, which was kind of like a, a loose group of indie developers back in the day. And one of the guys there said, like, well, make a game if it doesn't exist yet. And I'm, I'm not really sure what the game is that I'd write that wouldn't kind of be a rehash of something else or my version of what somebody else has written. So I'm not sure. I suppose the other thing is I, I run quite a lot of convention games and one-shots and stuff. And quite frequently asked by people, kind of have that adventure? I'm like, well, I've got some post-it notes and I've got some pictures. Uh, so I should really write up some scenarios. But I find that the least exciting bit of, you know, of gaming. So you know, all credit to Paul and the guys who, are, who happily write scenarios and, and produce them. But I just find having to write those things out so that somebody else could run them quite a challenge. And it's, you know, it's more work to put in compared to the reward I get than I'm, I'm willing to do most of the time. Yeah, I agree with you with that because uh, I start these things. I've got lots of uh, uh, things that I think I'm going to write this up. Uh, I, I promised people that I would do uh, Thieves World uh, missing page with King of Dungeons. So I've 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 got a half complete uh, NPCs hmm. created in uh, King of Dungeons. Now you can use because uh, Thieves World and King of Dungeons goes together really really well. Uh, it's a really good uh, setting and uh, the system works well with it. Um, so I've even commissioned art for it. So uh, Simon Perrins has done a great piece of art that I've not been able to share because I've not been able to finish it. So I'm going to. Now that Grog meets uh, Ish is out of the way, I'm going to commit to myself to finish that project off because I can put it out there. Okay, I'm going to go into Thunderpot again. Here it goes. Now, this is a question that I do get uh, asked quite a bit, more often than you think. Um, I get emails. I don't know if you guys do, but I want to start a podcast. What's your best advice? Well... I would say there's no special formula, there's no special rules, because you can do kind of whatever you want. Uh, and you have to get that into your head. Don't don't try and make a show like The Grognard Files or What Would The Smart Party Do or, or anything. Just, just make your own show. Think, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? Don't, like, think, this is going to, I'm going to put this out every two weeks forever. Yeah. You know? Um because we, we started off with a, a fairly loose schedule and then after a while we went to a fortnightly output. But that, that was a while before we did that and we managed to stick to it because there's three of us working on it and you know somehow we managed to, 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 to keep to that schedule. But that's tough. Yeah. Stamina is, stamina is a thing, isn't it, with podcasts? Just keeping going is part of the um, part of the effort, isn't it? Just uh, thinking that you've got to get to that schedule or get get the, the, the uh, programs out. It kind of gets some momentum, but you have to kind of find the energy from somewhere yeah. to do that. And after a, a bunch of shows, don't stop and have an episode where you sort of review your progress and then sort of say, oh, you know, now we're going to change and we're going to do it every week and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. So I've heard that so many times. And then they do two more shows and you never hear from them again. I would say at the start, record like, don't record a show and then put it out. Record like three or four shows before you put one out. That would be my advice. And aim to do maybe a season, like you were talking about, uh, Gaz, with, with the game, you know, 11 sessions and that's it. You know, record a season. Think of a, maybe a theme or whatever your, your show is about. And, and, you know, commit to say, I'm going to try and put out six shows. And it might just be, that might be it. That might be all you ever do. Well, that's fine. Um, I mean, Mike Mason put out The Whisperer of the fanzine many years ago for uh, Call of Cthulhu. There were five issues, if I remember correctly. But that's fine. It, 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 it. It was great. Um, it doesn't have to keep going forever. It's not like, you know, I don't know, Radio Times where it has to come out every week. It's 
So you can decide, oh, I'm going to make a show about um, my favourite cheeses to eat whilst role-playing. And you can have that idea from me. Yeah, yeah I'm going to make a note of that. Cheese role-playing. Yeah. I'll subscribe. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Somebody probably would listen, right? But I think you've got to you've got to put yourself into it. You've got to express yourself. Don't, I don't know. And talk to, talk to me. Talk to the listener. Don't just, you know, yeah. put it out to imaginary people. You are putting it out to imaginary people. I'm kind of reminded of the story about Philip K. Dick, who... Uh, who was, was paranoid at one stage in his life. He suffered you know, with mental illness problems and so on, I think. And he was paranoid that the CIA were, were tracking him and were like, you know, going through his trash and, and monitoring his movements. So he had the idea that he would write to them and he'd write like long letters to them and he'd put them in the rubbish bin because he knew that if they were following him, they'd find them. But if they weren't following him, you know, because they had an inkling they might not be, then all that was just going in the rubbish and nobody had known. So, and, and putting out a podcast feels a bit like that when you begin. It does. You it does. Out and you hear nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and really, even, you know, I don't know about you guys, but with our shows, uh, you know, we put them out and we get some comments and some feedback and some interaction. But quite a lot of shows and, you know, with the, 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 um, even with the uh, the fanzines and so on that we put out, the feedback is fairly low level. So I think if you're a, a person that's reading something or listening to something, and you're sort of thinking, "Oh, should I comment? Would they be interested?" Yeah, they would. They people love to hear your feedback um, about the shows. I think um, so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, going back to that idea of needing stamina to get through, it's those uh, things, you know, little bits, nuggets of feedback. Even if it's a, a negative comment, you think, well, it's reached somebody and uh, there's somebody out there, so it, that keeps you going. What about, what about you, Gaz? Yeah, I'll just echo the thing about feedback. If you if you share on social media and give it likes or, you know, any, any kind of support you can give podcasts, even if it's not Patreon dollars, which help with the running costs, you know, any kind of uh, signal boost is uh, appreciated by all of us because sometimes you do feel like you're shouting into the void a little bit. But that sort of like leads us back to do it for yourself. Like don't produce a podcast because you think it's something the world needs necessarily. Like it's got to be something fun. Like me and Baz always used to talk to each other and we'd spend many nights at university drinking whiskey and solving gaming and then forgetting what the answers were by the morning when we woke up with hangovers. But we always wanted to chat anyway, so let's record it. So that And then your podcast will develop as probably ours has to you sort of, you fall into certain patterns and there's things you like to do and you might get guests involved or whatever it is, but don't set out necessarily with lofty ambitions. How you make something sustainable and have that stamina is to be something you want to do anyway. If you want to talk about one shot scenarios or you want to do an in-depth dive of mothership or whatever it might be, uh, make it something that you're interested in talking about because you'll have to talk about it a lot. And, and as you said, sometimes you get a little bit fatigued and you don't want to do an episode or whatever. So it's got to be something that you're genuinely interested in and not feel like work. If it's not fun, don't do it. It's something we often use as a mantra. So that should apply to your podcast as well. And the other thing I would suggest, which we would do if we started again, is keep it simple on the, the tech. So there's all kinds of things like you can use uh, Libsyn or Blueberry or Anchor FM or all these different uh, array of things. Just pick one, Podbean, whatever, there's tons out there. Uh, pick one that you can just stick an episode on and make it work and not worry about stuff. Like When we started, we were using Google used to enable links to drive. So you had free storage. So we were storing all of them, linking to them. Somebody built us a website. Then they did the iTunes stuff wrong. So we've got two different iTunes accounts now. And you know, someone said they were going to support us if we got a URL. So we paid extra for domain and stuff, and then they've never paid us a cent. And you know, there's like people may try and help you, but it will be end up being uh, again. It then feels like work. So I would suggest pick Anchor FM or whatever. Just pick one of the sites and just publish on that. And that's where you can start from, and it'll all be nice and body and done for you. Um, take as much of the work out of it as possible because they're the, the unfun bits. It's like scenario writing for me. Actually recording the podcast is fine. That's great fun. Uh, and the other tool I've mentioned while I'm here is Audacity. It's a great free piece of software that allows you to edit stuff down and 
change volume levels. There's, there's tons, there's probably more components in it than I'm aware of. I use maybe five or 10% of the bits and pieces in it, but there's lots of free tools out there and inexpensive hosting solutions and that sort of stuff. So go for that, would be my advice. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's good that you mentioned Anchor because uh, with Anchor as well, you have a ready-made community. So it's more like a, a, a blogging tool, I think, uh, uh, an audio blogging tool. So, you know, we're in the noughties. Uh, there was like an explosion of blogging. That's been replaced now, hasn't it, by these small uh, opinion-orientated uh, Anchor uh, uh, podcasts, which mm-hmm. have input from... Uh, each other so it's like the fanzine scene back in the 80s where yeah, people yeah. are sharing comments and and uh, building up a, a community that way i mean the advice i always give is obviously i, I mean the, i'm i'm immersed in radio i'm a big fan of uh, listening to uh, radio so if you listen to what happens uh, in radio um, and good radio programs have a bit of personality and um steel steel formats i mean first last and everything is stolen off the radio. There's loads of uh, ideas out there that you can formats that you ha- can hang your podcast around. Um, so I always point people in, in that direction. But um, you're right. Don't do it because you enjoy it. Because uh, that's the thing that will uh, get you through it. Good stuff. Right. Let's uh, go back to the Thunderpot. It's good that you can have original content like the Thunderpot and not steal all your ideas. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Thunder, thunder phase is not stolen from anywhere. It isn't. It isn't. Okay. Thunderphase. So I'm going to start with Gaz for this one. So point us at a TV series that is a minefield for ideas. So I think what you do is pick a, a good episodic series that can give you ideas that apply across the board. So uh, as an example would be, I think the best TV series ever is The Wire. And people may disagree, but that's because they are wrong. So one of the things that makes it good, however, is it shines a light on various aspects of the city, of politics, of things like that, and various levels of strata of society and all the rest of it. So you might think it's only good for a police procedural, for example. But actually, you can look at it in kind of, if you transplanted Baltimore and the drug scene and the police trying to catch the drug dealers and all that kind of stuff and make it about Waterdeep, and think, what are the problems facing the gangs in the city? They're not like one-dimensional bandits and footpads. Like maybe there's internecine politics between your NPCs and something's going on there. Why is you know the, the government incapable of stamping it out? Well, let's look at what could be going on in your your, your cast of characters, the, like the prince of the city, and like who's trying to manipulate him and that kind of stuff. And then what obstacles do you face throughout the series? And where's the highs and lows? And what happens when something goes wrong? And how do they recover from it? They can all give you ideas about cool stuff that can happen in your game. And you replace the, the police chief with Tiamat or, you know, just stuck other things in there. And that gives you, like, cool sort of soap opera moments that can happen in the game. So one of the co-hosts that Paul's got is uh, Scott Dorwood. And he's very good at, like, his hot war scenarios, for example, are very often kitchen sink. There will be about a family of four people. And in the setting where there's been nuclear war and there's monsters and Soviet spies and stuff, your immediate thought, I think, with lots of scenario design is to go big, think about all the cool stuff that could happen. But actually, when you drive down into like real relationships and, and people's problems, that can get a lot of drama and interest. So I'd recommend that people look at what might seem like mundane contemporary shows and then just put you know elf ears on it and a, a wizard's hat and think about how it might work in your game. And that'll give you some new ideas, I think. Yeah. And I suppose this is a good point here to have an argument about uh, Sopranos versus Gomorrah. Because uh, uh, you uh, get the travesty that, to say that uh, Gomorrah is better than the Sopranos, which is patently wrong. Should we have so, a vote on it? The <laughs> listeners at home, I can see Paul's agitated in his chair. He's, going <laughs> up and down. He's physically offended by that. <laughs> So it, it depends on what you're after. And I think both are, are good shows and it depends what you're interested in at the time. Like you pick a different game depending on what you wanted to do. So for me, uh, the good thing about Gamora is something happens every episode. Uh, whereas Sopranos, you could argue the merits of the writing or whatever else and the storyline, the throughput, the philosophical views that it has, that kind of stuff. But some episodes are just quite dull, I would suggest. I love The Sopranos. I think it's a, an exceptional show. Yeah, now now Dirk's clutching his chest from heart attacks. Well, I think some of the episodes are quite turgid. 
whereas uh, Gamora might be more lightweight, for example, and not as deep and not have perhaps the same weight, I suppose you might say, uh, has more action and more things happen. You know that every episode there'll be a point in it where something cool, from my point of view, which might be terrible from a normal moral point of view, happens. So the, the different shows of the same sort of genre but approach them in different ways. And it's like, do you play Dungeons & Dragons or do you play a game of Savage Worlds? And the system you use is going to make those markedly different approaches. So you can look at different shows and get more out of it. So I would say I'm more of a fan of Savage Worlds Fast Furious Action than I am of D&D Deep Minutiae and Slow Crawling, as I would see it perhaps as an unfair characterization, but to, to sort of like you know, go to extremes to make it, you know, make the point. I think the same with Sopranos and Gamora. I like the Gamora show, probably because I'm watching it most recently, but stuff happens. It's pacey. You know, there's, there's things, yeah. twists and turns that are immediate whereas Sopranos might be more long, long, slow burn and that kind of thing. So it's just just an illustration of different styles that you might want to take. Yeah, it, it, it is excellent, uh, Gamora, but um, the Sopranos, I suppose, was uh, broke new ground. And you know, going back to an earlier question, about uh, you were talking about what game you could produce. I am desperate for a good game that replicates uh, the gangster life and um, the pressures of uh, gangster life. The fact that you know um, you, you have to build up a, a, an empire, you've got to build up a, a associations uh, with people. So, and I think it comes from that uh, Gomorrah that it, it, it there's no there's no other uh, program that. Gets, creates that edginess of mm. um, any day now you could be killed and there might be no rhyme or reason uh, for that. But to do that in a game, uh, I think is hard. Yeah, it's like request. Any day now your left leg could be chopped off and you just don't know when it will come. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, what about you? Because you do this in the podcast, don't you? You actually uh, look for uh, gaming ideas and over lockdown you've been doing some lockdown specials. Um, looking at TV programs. Yeah, we have looked at some TV programs, but I'd say on the whole, TV isn't something I think I turn to for ideas. Um, I mean, I, I do take some inspiration from TV shows, but it's usually like uh, just an interesting non-player character, something like that. We we rewatched The West Wing recently, which was uh, you know both good and bad in terms of you know reflecting on modern politics. <laughs> But, um, you know, there's this, there's this one guy that turns up to, you know, that's in CJ's office one day. And uh, it's the same actor that was from Mulholland Drive, the guy that, that uh, is in the restaurant talking about, you know, the person around the back and there's a horrifying scene. It's that same actor who's got this strange look. And he's telling CJ about this asteroid that's headed towards the Earth. And she's totally dismissive about it. But he's like, he's so serious. And, uh, and then she's like, well, what's it going to be like? And he's like, well, it basically you know, destroy most of humanity if it, if it hits the earth. Um, and it's just little NPCs like that that you can sort of lock away in your brain and bring out in a game. I think, you know, as part of your repertoire of, of, of characters. Um, so that's where I would take inspiration. I think, uh, I mean, I agree with, you know, what's been said about looking at the format of shows and so on. Um, I think a big problem that a lot of people encounter when they try and mirror a show is that role-playing games are their own medium. They don't work like a TV show works. You can take stuff from it, but you can't expect your game, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think you can expect it to work just like a TV show or indeed just like a book or a film. And I think that uh, point is being made in the chat. And there's a great recommendation here of a Mouse Ritter and Pipkins mashup from uh, Jim McCarthy. I think we need to we need to work on that. Okay, uh, let's uh, go back to the Thunderpot because uh, we're running out of time. So I want to get through a couple more of these if we can. Thunderfades! Okay. I'm going to start with uh, you, uh, Paul, with this one. So musical accompaniment to your games, does it work? Uh, I think it's problematic. I think it works well if you have a theme tune. I think that's good. Uh, I mean, I referred earlier to the Oz Magic game I used to run, and I think we had the, the title music from the mission, the film, um, and it just gets everybody into the, the mindset. I mean going back to the previous question is a bit like the theme tune from a TV show. So when you hear that, 
you immediately, you know, that's why they have one, right? Because it puts you in that mindset immediately of the, of the TV show or the game. And also it's a switch from, we're all sat around eating pizza or, or chatting or whatever we're doing. You get the theme music. Okay, now we're in the game. So it's like a little ritual. Um, I think background sounds can be good. So when I ran Pool Fathom 5, I had like, you know, YouTube on in the background was playing like a constant sound of the ocean, just like real in the background. Um, but trying to organize like particular music for particular scenes, if you're like, if you've really got your, you know, your technical know-how all set up and you can do that smoothly, well, I take my hat off to you because I, I certainly couldn't. So... I mean, the trouble you can have, like, you know, jazz playing for a 1920s Call of Cthulhu game, but you're not in a jazz club all the time. No. You know? no. So no. I'm not sure how you, you manage that. Yeah. See, b- back in the day, we used to uh, play uh, records all the time uh, when we were playing it. And now, even if I hear Incantations by Mike Oldfield, I imagine myself on the back of a bison riding through the steps of Prax. I can't hear, I have to stop what I'm doing. Not that I hear incantations by Mike Oldfield that often, unless I put it on. Um, but it, you're right, sometimes uh, they can break a mood, can't they? Because um, in the noughties, I played a game of D&D, and it was a time when uh, iPods had just come out, and uh, they were amazed by the shuffle. It was like the iPad, iPod shuffle. And honestly, all around my bloody hat would come up every... Uh, <laughs> 50 minutes or so and uh, you know and it just brought the mood so every time i hear all around my hat uh you know i feel a uh, slight disdain what about you guys do you use music in your games do you not so much the Horton weavers i have to say that's not really on the list <laughs> um so it's a bit difficult at the minute we're all online aren't we so i've um i, I avoid it there are some people who've put it on to you know as the background of a, a zoom session so like that and it it tends to be overbearing or gets in the way or something like that. And if it's on quietly as mood, it ends up having to be too quiet. So I think just the medium of using Zoom and Google Meet and stuff, trying to use it in online games is troublesome. But even in, in real life, I guess the two examples I've got, it's, um, it's good if it's just there as ambience. It shouldn't be a distraction. Uh, and so it's up to you to pick music and stuff, so it's not a distraction, but it can fill in the empty spaces when people are thinking and no one's talking. That's good. One example is um, the alien Aliens with an S soundtrack. And that has a bit that goes quiet. And then there's a, a big jump scare as a, you know, a face hugger jumps out or something, but you forget. So you're playing along a game and there'll be the exciting music at the start. And then there's a, a literal silence for a little while. And you kind of just play and play. And all of a sudden there's like, duh, 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 and everybody yeah. like jumps and dice go everywhere and spit the tea out and stuff, which is amusing, but it, it's not helping your role playing session. Yeah. And then I guess the other one is the, the D and D group I've got with the noobs. They, I've had to tell one of the guys to put a lock on his, uh, uh, whatever it's called. It's, um, you know, like the box that sits in the corner and listens to you. Oh, uh, I don't want to say his name because it will respond. That's what I'm trying not to do because, but, you know, it begins <laughs> to set him off around the country. He <laughs> <laughs> has an X in it. Uh, yeah. But what happens or what tended to happen was people go, oh, we're in the fight. Good. I'll play it all for tuna. No, no, play some Slipknot. And then we have like five minutes of everybody arguing about which song to play. And you barely get halfway through before someone's changing their track. And then that becomes the game. He's like, who can pick the best song for fighting a bugbear? And it's like, can we just get back to find the bugbear, please? Because that's, you know, we can yeah. do that separately. And um, so, that- yeah, music and games are distractions generally, unless you specifically alter out to make sure it's not. And, and then it doesn't get in the way. That's a, that's a role in its own, really. You just need a, an additional person, DJ Dirk, there in the corner, just like mixing tracks, yeah. you know, matching well, the beat to the game. That's the, my third example then would be uh, at a game, I think it was IndyCon, and some guy, was it Crimson Empires and what that, a guy was doing, and he had a live musician. So he had a guy oh, with an electric guitar wow. providing a movement. Oh, wow. was, that was something to behold. I don't think it was repeated, but yeah. it was an interesting experiment to see someone do that in the flesh. Yeah. You could never get um, the fight in uh, Clannad uh, Legend to uh, appear at the right time. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I would normally agree that uh, having music is a distraction, but last night I played a game of Paranoia online with uh, Ian from Rules to Save uh, p- uh, podcast, and that was a masterclass because we were in um, uh, we're in uh, the Paranoia. Uh, setting and he had Muzak playing all the way through it and he used sound effects to indicate the computer's intervention uh, doors slamming it just really contributed uh, um, we had to keep uh, ringing through to uh, for supplies and we were put on on hold music and so it just kind of really contributed to the mood and uh, increasing despair yeah that, yeah it was fantastic okay I'm uh, going to pull out the last one when was the last time that you fudged a roll, Gaz? Probably about 1987. Oh, exactly. You are <laughs> hardcore, aren't you? Don't, you don't, why fudge rolls? What's the point? What's the point of rolling dice for the sound they make? Like, why have gem screens? Lay them flat. Like, if you're going to play a game, play the game. If you're just going to play, do make believe, do make pretend in the playground, like you were five. Come on, guys. Get with the program. Let's play the game hard, properly. Use the rules. Let's do it. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Don't fudge rolls to save people's blushes. Like, just let the dice fall with the main and see what happens. That's where excitement comes from. That's where people lean in to see whether you've made that critical when you needed to. Have you rolled the hard six when you need to? If the rolls don't matter, why are you rolling dice? It's my you know, view. There are other opinions. <laughs> I'm sure there are. Is there any, uh, another opinion on the other side of the table? Uh, Paul? Have you? When was the last time you fudged a dice roll? I, I just roll dice and make up the numbers, Dirk. That's me. <laughs> that's how it's it fine. works, isn't it? That's that's fine because I'm a GM, so I can fudge it, right? But when my players do it, if they do it, it's not called fudging, is it? What do we call it then? I can't remember. Is it called cheating? <laughs> is it called cheating? <laughs> I've heard that used to, yeah, isn't it? Um, I think you know the whole thing about dice to me. When I pick up the dice. If, it, if I know it's like a crucial roll, I, I pick him up and I say to the player, you know, if I roll and he's got like 50, 40 skill, my NPC, if I roll under 40, he's going to pull that, you know, lever and you're going to fall in that pit. You've seen the pit. If you fall in it, you're going to die. Are you ready? <laughs> and I hold up the dice and everybody leans forward. You know, that's, that's the exciting thing isn't it, about dice. But you, it's no good... Rolling the dice and then sort of saying, "Oh, uh, oh, he's pulled that lever. Now you're falling to your death." Well, that's not so good, is it? Because nobody was excited about that. So I think you've got to announce, you know, say what you're rolling for, and then roll it, like Gaz says, in the open, because um, it's a game. And and if you if your game mechanics aren't doing what you want, and you roll, and the dice are telling you things in the game that you don't want to happen, well, maybe you're playing the wrong game. Is what I would say. Correct. So, uh, when did you say you last uh, fudged it, uh, Gaz? Nineteen eighty-seven. I made a guess. Yeah, it was sometime around then. I'm going I'm to say mine was about uh, twenty hours ago. Yeah, <laughs> twenty hours ago. Uh, yeah, uh, playing uh, Dragon Warriors uh, in the after afternoon, and um, I've not played it uh, for uh, thirty-five years. And I'd forgotten about uh, fixed damage. You know, when you get fixed damage, now this isn't fudging the dice roll, this is fudging statistics. I reduced the hit points because I saw that if it was fixed damage, that this uh, fight was going to go on for too long. So uh, I adjusted the uh, the hit points uh, down for some of the opponents. So that's fudging it as well, isn't it? Reducing hit points of your opponents. I don't think so. As we've discussed in a recent podcast about combat, like if, if the fight's going on too long, just end it. So you did it probably in a more, I don't want to say underhanded way, but <laughs> you, you did it behind the GM screen, you know what I mean? So that, so that the players wouldn't notice and that the, the scenario can go on, but it's just another way of moving things on. I wouldn't say it's fudging necessarily. You just thought this is going to be dull if we carry on with this for another half an hour. So let's move the things on. You could have just said that out loud, arguably with a different Greek. So, I don't think it's fudging. Yeah. Fixed damage isn't great though, is it? Fixed damage in a game, it doesn't doesn't work, I don't think. It doesn't feel as visceral. It feels a little bit boring because it's either a big number and you think, well, I don't want to get hit again and I know that's what's going to happen if I get hit, I'm going to get exactly that same damage. Or it's trivial, in which case 
you just mark in like you put like matchsticks in the cribbage board or something until you fill it up. It's just you know it doesn't seem exciting. But to roll perhaps with say savage wealth for example with exploding dice that can roll up forever and you get massive damage rolls out of nowhere. That feels cool. Yeah. Yes. And do you know, uh, I think playing um, Dragon Warriors after playing 13th Age Grantha made a lot of difference because you realise that you have those spectacular fights in uh, 13th Age, don't you? And uh, you realise that, you know, because it's an older system, um, Dragon Warriors, it just can't give you as interesting results. Good stuff. Okay, so that's uh, that's. Uh, I've, got, I've still got questions in there, but they stay in the thunder pot until uh, next time. So, is there uh, anything else that you want to add? I think you should uh, make sure that you point people towards your podcast. So, uh, thank you very much, Paul. Do you want to just uh, remind people where they can find you? Well, thank you very much. Uh, you can find us at blasphemoustomes.com. It's the good friends of Jackson Elias. And in January, we've got our 200th show coming out. Ooh. And, and we're going to have our very own Thunderpot. Hey! <laughs> can, can you send it down, Dirk? Yeah, like, I'll, I'll like, post it. Yeah. But, yeah make <laughs> sure it's like, it first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if anybody's got questions for us, send them in. And uh, yeah, we're going to, that's, that's going to be because I don't know what else you do for a 200th show. So that, that's what we're going to do for that. Uh, and also, if anybody's interested, we've got the Blasphemous Tome fanzine coming out soon. So if you're interested in horror, um, I don't know, songs and sketches and jokes old and new, that's that's all in there and uh, a new scenario from myself set in World War II. So uh, you, can get us, you can get a copy of that by backing us on Patreon. Thanks for that. And uh, thank you very much, Gaz, as well, for joining us. Uh, to remind everybody where they'll find what would the Smart Party do. Yeah, thanks, Dave. A delight, as always, to be on the show. Uh, you can find us at whatwiththesmartpartyd.com, uh, Facebook at fb.com forward slash the smart party, patreon.com forward slash the smart party, uh, the underscore smart underscore party on Twitter, uh, two different iTunes locations, all your favorite podcast purveyors. Uh, there are many and varied ways to find us, but generally the smart party or what would the smart party do is where you will find us on a myriad, nay plethora of platforms. So yeah, all that's remained to be said is adios, amigos. Adios. Hasta luego.